And uh, that'll be Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And uh, let me just read this for you, which will tie in with Luke 4. And uh, have your Bible there, and then I'll briefly pray. And we, uh, we'll get into a passage which I, which I hope will both stir and change your heart as we seek the kingdom together. So Luke, uh, Luke writes in Acts 1, he, he writes in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we, we, we're going to be studying and looking at your, your, your kingdom and your, your kingdom come and, and, and just... Pray that you would help me this morning uh, to preach in a manner that is worthy of you, in a way that brings you honor and glory, and in a way that will stir our hearts to live both for the kingdom now and the kingdom coming. And so would you open your word to our hearts, and would you stir our affections for you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, there's a, there's a title for you this morning, the, the, kingdom, the Kingdom Gap, or could put it, The Kingdom Has a Gap. The Kingdom Gap from Luke chapter 4, um, and we'll get into that in just a moment. A, a, a gap can be very simply defined as a space between two objects or an interval between two things. That's what a gap is. And I want to just tell you about my most annoying gap in my life, it is the gap that I have between the wall and my blind in my bedroom, which allows the sun to come through in summer at four o'clock in the morning to wake me from my slumber. Amen. Anybody got that sort of gap? Ah, I see a hand or two uh, out there. Um, uh, the very other annoying gap is that gap that you've got between your teeth. And if you have lovely parents, they spend lots of money and uh, take you to the orthodontist to sort that, that gap out, right? Uh, yeah, they say there's a research gap in certain areas. Won't say much about that one. Um, if you've got sort of gaps in your house, you can go to a product. I'm actually not sure if that's an Australian product, but there's a no more gaps product, 
which will sort out all the problems. I don't think that will go between my blind and my wall, but anyway, I might try it. Um, they, they tell us there are learning gaps as well. And how exciting is this, that there is something called the gaps diet. Did you know that? It's all to do with your gut and the gap in your gut and all that sort of stuff. Very important stuff, but moving on, we'll, uh, you can talk to me about that later. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. I want to explore with you this morning the kingdom gap. There's a gap or there is an interval in the kingdom. So let's start here with my first heading, the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of Christ. And there's a definition for you. The kingdom of Christ is the visible rule and reign of Christ over all creation. That's what the kingdom of Christ is. It is the visible rule and reign of Christ over all creation. And I want you to have a look at these uh, diagrams that are, that are coming up. And let me sort of explain it and put the different parts into it like this. We, we, we know that, that that blue thing over there, that, that's the world that stands for the world. And we know that God rules and reigns over the world even now. But here's the thing, isn't it? We don't see that. We do not physically see the rule and reign of God over all creation. We, we can say the whole world is in his hand, in his hands. So, so God rules and reigns. But here's, here's how the Bible starts to put it. We, 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 we're told that, that, that this world, in fact, is the kingdom of darkness. Uh, it, it's under the rule and the reign of Satan. But what has happened is that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Christ has, has broken into the kingdom of darkness. Does that make sense? So, so we've got the kingdom of darkness in the world, but, but the kingdom of Christ through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Christ, has broken into this world, and people enter the kingdom of Christ through repentance and faith. But if I add just another dynamic to it, what we're told is therefore that all God's people who've entered the kingdom through repentance and faith, they've been gathered together in the church, represented like local communities like this one. Uh, that's what the church means, ecclesia, gathered ones. And so all of God's people are in the church, in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of darkness. Does that make sense? So we're in the church, we're in the body, and we're in the messianic kingdom, but we're living in the world, in the kingdom of darkness. Now as you look at that diagram, what should be clear is that if the kingdom of Christ is the visible reign and rule of Christ over all creation, but if we're, if we're in the kingdom of Christ, but we're still in the kingdom of darkness, then, then there's a gap, isn't there? There's, there's, there's an interval. We're, we're in the kingdom, but we're not in the kingdom. We're, we're in the kingdom, but we're in the kingdom of darkness. And, and so there is, this, there is this kingdom gap or this kingdom interval. Let me open it up for you. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to read some of it for you again. The kingdom of Christ has a gap. So, 
Just pick it up from verse 16. Jesus goes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue, which was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened onto him and began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Just look at that for a moment. He, he, he rolls up the scroll. He, he gives it back. And every eye was fastened on him. Why do you think that is? One of the reasons is because the Jews knew that Jesus was reading from Isaiah 61. But every Jew knew that Isaiah 61 did not end with proclaiming the Lord's favor, but actually finished with something else. We might say that Jesus stops and therefore there is a gap in his reading. Every Jew sitting there would have absolutely known that something was a little out. Let me see if I can show it to you, and you'll see it. If we put Luke chapter 4 against Isaiah 61, and you look at it carefully, you will notice the difference. Do you notice as you look at Luke 4 and verse 19, where does Jesus stop? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now go across into Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2, what did Jesus leave out? What's the gap? What did he not say? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Why does Jesus stop at Isaiah 61 verse 2a? Why does he not read Isaiah 61 verse 2b? Now, some will turn around and say, well, you see, the reason why he left it out is because the Old Testament, that's all about, you know, the God of judgment. But in the New Testament, it's all about grace and love. No, 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 no. He stops at the end of verse 19 and doesn't say the day of the vengeance of our God because there's a gap. There's a gap in the kingdom. Every Old Testament Israelite and all the first century Jews knew this. When they read Isaiah 61, they knew that when Messiah came, he would bring favor for the Jews, and he would therefore bring vengeance on the enemies of God, which in this context was 
the Romans. In other words, when the Jews read Isaiah 61, when Messiah came, they were expecting the fullness of the kingdom. They were expecting for the, the Messiah to bring the fullness of the Lord's favor for God's people and the fullness of the vengeance of God on the enemies of God. So when Jesus says in Luke 4.21 and Isaiah 61 that this has been fulfilled in their hearing, these Jews are suddenly picking up a very discernible and an uncomfortable gap. This man is claiming to bring the year of the Lord's favor, but what about the day of judgment? What about the day of vengeance? Now, if you've got your Bible, just keep following the passage with me. Look what happens. In verse 24, Jesus goes on to say that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. In other words, you're now not going to accept this. You're going to reject me. The Jews are going to reject the year of the Lord's favor. And then look at verse 26. He goes on to talk about Elijah. And Elijah was not sent to any of the widows in Jerusalem or in Israel, but he was sent to a widow in Zarephath, to a non-Jew, to a Gentile widow in the region of Sidon. And then he goes on to say, but hey, can I remind you that Elisha the prophet, he didn't heal any Jewish lepers. He only healed a leper who was a Syrian named Naaman. Here's what Jesus is saying. He is the Messiah who is bringing the Lord's favor. But these Jews are going to reject it. But instead of the day of vengeance coming now, it's actually going to be a time when the gospel, the good news is going to go to the Gentiles. The Jews, they're going to reject it. But the Lord's favor will go to non-Jews, to Gentiles in all the world, and they're going to accept it. And as Jesus says these provocative words, notice how the tone changes in verse 28. The people in the synagogue were so furious when they heard this, and they drive him, they try and drive him to the edge of a cliff if you look at the passage, and they try him, throw him off. Here's what these Jews were saying and thinking. If this Jesus claims to be the Messiah who's bringing the Lord's favor, but he's not bringing about the day of vengeance on the enemies, then he's not the Messiah. And if he's bringing a message which is not going to be accepted by the Jews, but is going to go to the Gentiles, then he is not the Messiah, and we're going to kill him. They didn't understand the gospel gap. The early disciples, even after the resurrection, really struggled to understand this. So have a look at Acts chapter 1 verse 6 with me again. So Jesus has risen from the dead and they, they, they gather around him verse 6 and they say, Lord, 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 are you, are you now going to restore the, 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 the kingdom to Israel? It's like we're saying to Jesus, Jesus, listen, listen, okay, hey, you died as the Messiah. We didn't get that. You've risen as the Messiah. 
We didn't get that. But you have died. You have risen. So is it now? Are you now going to bring the day of the Lord's favor? And are you now going to bring the day of vengeance? Are you going to do it now? Are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to destroy our enemies? Destroy the Romans? Are you going to do it now? And notice Jesus' answer in verse 7. He says to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's the gap. Jesus is saying to them, the day of vengeance is coming. The day when I bring the wrath of God on the sin of man is coming. But now, now is the day of favor. Now is the time of the Lord's favor as the message of salvation and the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. Which is why Jesus says to them in Luke 24, this was before, he says to them um, after the resurrection, he says to them, this is what was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Have a look at the diagram again. If the kingdom has got a gap, if there is this interval, if, if, if now is the year of the Lord's favor, if now is the time of the gospel going to the nations, in, in, in light of, in light of the vengeance that is coming, the day of judgment is coming. It is coming. But if, if now is the Lord's favor, as we live in the church, in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, darkness, what are we meant to be doing? We have to push, if I can use that word, we've got to push out into the kingdom of darkness. That's what we do in the gap. While we wait for the day of vengeance, when Christ comes with his angels and he will bring the wrath of God, we push, proclaim into the kingdom of darkness with the gospel. So we, we've got a definition of the kingdom of Christ and we, we've looked at the kingdom of Christ that has got a gap. Now, that third statement might be a little surprising to you for some of us that the kingdom of Christ is bigger than personal salvation. The kingdom of Christ is bigger than personal salvation. What do I mean? Well, have a look at this verse firstly. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's in Christ. And here it comes, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now what Paul is saying is this. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is not just going to reconcile humans to God. He's going to reconcile what? He's going to reconcile all of creation back to God as well. The gospel doesn't just redeem humanity, but the gospel redeems all of creation. 
That's why when you look at Romans chapter 8, that's why Paul says it's not just the children of God now that groan in anticipation of the fullness of the kingdom coming. It's all of creation that groans as well. Take a look. We know that the whole of creation is groaning, waiting, longing, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Look at verse 23. And we too, as the ones that have got the first fruits of the Spirit, we as the children of God, we're longing and waiting and groaning for the fullness to come. Here is a wonderful statement by a preacher who said this. Redemption is bigger than forgiveness. And fallenness is bigger than sinfulness. Redemption is bigger than forgiveness and fallenness is bigger than sinfulness. So let me put it like this. If, if when the fullness of the kingdom comes, when it comes and it's bringing about the fullness of redemption of humanity and it's bringing about the fullness of the redemption of creation, then what that means now is that in the gap now, we're not just pushing out with the gospel, but we're also seeking to rejuvenate, refresh, revitalize, restore creation now. Does that make sense? If all of creation is going to be redeemed, then we are seeking to redeem something of creation now. Let me put it another way. The new heavens and the new earth that is coming is not going to be the obliteration of this world. The new heavens and the new earth are new. It's going to be a complete refreshing, a restoring, a rejuvenating, a renewal of our current world. So when you have a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, for example, it says that the current heavens are prepared for fire, being kept for the day of judgment. That's not talking about obliteration. That is talking about cleansing. It means the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be washed clean. It is going to be all the impurity, all the sin, all the wickedness, all the vileness, all the grossness, all the brokenness all the hurt, everything will be washed away, purged, if you like, from this world. So let me turn it this way. What that means is that we should be seeking to taste as much of the kingdom now in anticipation of what the kingdom will be. Let me turn it around. Whatever we will eat in fullness then, we want to taste now. Does that make sense? Whatever it is, whatever we will eat in fullness, whether it be in the fullness of relationship, whether it be in the fullness of the new creation, whatever we will eat in fullness, whatever we will feast on in fullness, we want to taste that, something of that now. I'll pull that open practically in just a moment. What this means, brothers and sisters, is that when we live in the kingdom gap, as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom, we, 
right here and now, we want to seek whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. We want to, we want to chase those things as a taster of that fullness of that feasting that is coming. Now, yes, brothers and sisters, absolutely everything in this world, it's marred, it's tainted, it's stained by sin. But the kingdom of Christ now means that we can taste something, just a little bit of that which is coming. Think about the miracles of Jesus for just a moment. I wonder which of the miracles are your favorite. I wonder which of the miracles of Jesus speak to your very heart. Maybe it's the miracle where Jesus raised the young man from the dead and he gave, he gave the son back to his mother, to his weeping mother. Maybe it was that miracle where the, the woman's been bleeding for 12 years and she comes up behind Jesus and she touches him and her bleeding is instantly sorted out. Or maybe it's the leper falling down before Jesus. Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, be clean. Maybe, maybe, maybe the miracle that grabs your heart is Jesus sort of in the boat sleeping and he just commands the winds and the waves and everything just shuts on down. Maybe it's the, 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 the couple of loaves and a bit of fish and he prays and his molly and the, and the 5,000, 10,000 are fed. Those wonderful miracles, they are not just proof that Jesus is God in human flesh. Those miracles are kingdom miracles. They are also little tasters of what will be in perfection and full and never-ending one day in His kingdom. Those miracles show that the kingdom of Christ has broken into the kingdom of darkness. And those miracles are a little foretaste, a little foresight on what the feasting will be like one day. So this kingdom has got a gap. And in this gap, we're, we're pushing the gospel into the kingdom of of darkness. And, 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 and in this kingdom of Christ now, we're, we're, we're wanting to push, if you like, a, a, a renewing, restoring creation, whatever that looks like. Now, let me open that up for you under three headings. So what does that mean? What does it look like? Practically, what are we, what are we saying? Firstly, the church and the kingdom. So remember, we are the church. We are the gathered. We're the body of Christ. And where are we? We're living where? We're in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom of Christ now, right? So what sort of things are we anticipating? One day we will feast on the unity of God's people in the future. Amen? There will be a time, Revelation 7 verse 9, there's a time when every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be together and we will be in perfect unity. If that's what we're going to feast on, what do we want to taste now right here in this church? What do we want to taste? Unity. If we're anticipating justice, do you know that when the fullness of the kingdom comes, we're going to feast on justice. Do you know that? We're going to feast on a time when all wrongs are made right. When every form of abuse and racism and hatred and all that stuff, it's all gone. It'll be a time where injustice, all the rights will be made, all the wrongs will be made right. There'll be no tears and mourning and pain and everything gone. That's what we, if we're going to feast on justice in the kingdom of God and we're in the kingdom of Christ now, what do we want? to taste justice 
If we're going to feast on perfect relationships then, we want to taste something, just to taste something of that now. That means that here in the church, we, 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 we want to be a place. We, we want to taste a place where there is no inequality, no abuse, no racism, no poverty. We, we want to seek the goodness of relationships that we will feast on one day. Let me put it another way. The reason why the church, listen, the church in the kingdom, the reason why we cannot tolerate in the church things like racism, abuse, inequality, sexism, poverty, and like such things is because those things directly violate the kingdom we will feast on one day. If you feast on it there, you want to taste it now, whatever it is. Unity, justice, goodness. You with me? Hope so. Let's take this a little further. What about the kingdom and the world? What about the kingdom and the world? And so as you look at that sort of picture again, it's not just that we want to taste the kingdom together in the church. We want the world to taste the kingdom as well. Let me put it this way. We want to taste the kingdom here, and we want the world to taste the kingdom out there. We want to, if you want to put it this way, back to that, uh, let's just go back to that picture. We want to push the values and the goodness and the ethic and the wonder and the beauty of the kingdom of Christ. We want to push it into the kingdom of darkness. So what does that mean? That means that you live the kingdom wherever you are. Wherever God has put you, wherever God has placed you, in your family, in your work, in your neighborhood, in your sports, in your school, in your university, in your tape. It doesn't matter where you are. Wherever God has placed you in the world, there you want to be a taster of the kingdom. There you want to, to be a taster of all God's goodness and all God's grace, whatever that means. So what that means is that when we go into the world, it means that we want to be part of promoting and celebrating the equality of all human beings. We want to be part of, of that which stands against violence and abuse against women and children and every form of abuse. We want to celebrate progress that is made against poverty. We want to be for good vaccines and medicines that, that help with cancer and Alzheimer's and whatever else. Not because these things are an end of themselves, but because they're tasters. They're little tasters of the feasting of the fullness of the kingdom of Christ that we're going to enjoy one day. And what that means is that if we live in the world, if we, if we live the kingdom of Christ in the world, it means we celebrate everything of God's good to us, even when it comes through non-Christians. Why? Because that's common grace. And every good gift, every good gift comes down from the, the Father of lights who is in heaven, James. So again, 
living the kingdom of Christ in, in, in the world or in the kingdom of darkness, it means that we, we want to celebrate and promote advances made in the medical field or science or technology, advances that are made in the care of the, the aged, the disabled, the mentally ill. We, we want to celebrate things like good public schools. We, we want to enjoy good books, good movies, good food. I mean, if it's good, we want it. If it's good, we're on it. If it's good, we're in it. If it's good, we want to be in and around and through it and enjoying it. Why? Because it's a little taste of that fullness of feasting that's coming. So what does that mean? Well, you're a, you, work, you work on the Holy Mile down one of the campsites. Well, then be a kingdom campsite worker, whatever. You're a project manager, be a kingdom project manager. You're a vet, be a kingdom vet. You're a house mom, be a kingdom house mom. You're an aged care worker, be a kingdom aged care worker. You're a FIFO, be a kingdom FIFO. You're a uni, be a kingdom unia. You're at school, be a kingdom schooler. I don't know, whatever, make up the word. What does that mean for but back to what does that mean for creation? If we're going to be about restoring and renewing and refreshing and revitalizing and rejuvenating creation, it, it, it doesn't mean that we become climate change changes. That's not what it's about. It's not about becoming savers of the planet. It's about celebrating anything that's good, anything that is right. We, we want to support human flourishing. We want to support creation flourishing, whatever that looks like, wherever it is, because it's a taste. It's a taste. But there's a third aspect that I need to just bring your attention to, and that there is a there's a clash of the kingdoms, though, isn't there? Now, let me show you the diagram again. I hope you can see this for you to get me out of the, the way there. It might be a little bit hard to see, but you might notice that there's a jagged edge. I've drawn in a jagged edge. looks like a rocky ridge around the white bit between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Christ. You'll see there's a, a jagged edge that goes all around there. And that represents that there is this clash of the kingdoms. You've heard of the clash of the titans? This is the clash of the kingdoms. So listen. We're in the church. We're in the kingdom. Living in the kingdom of darkness. As we push the gospel into the kingdom of darkness... There is going to be both a celebration from the world and a condemnation from the world. It will be celebrated because for some we are going to be the aroma of life, right? But for others we're going to be what? The stink and the stench of death. So as we push the gospel into a world of darkness, it's going to clash. We're going to be loved and we're going to be hated. Same thing applies with the kingdom living. If we're, going to, if we're going to push the values and the ethics and the morals and the goodness and the beauty of the kingdom of Christ into 
the darkness. Even when we're living kingdom in the darkness, there is going to be both a celebration and a condemnation. There are going to be things that the world accepts and the things that the world hates. So let me give you an example. As we push the the ethic that all men are made equal, man, woman, children are equal in the sight of God and all are in the image of God, the world is going to love us. They love that. That's okay. But the moment that we push our sexual ethic into the kingdom of darkness, what happens? We're hated. We're persecuted. The moment you say that, 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 that marriage is between a man and a woman, the moment that you say that it is, not against, it is against God's law for same-sex marriage, the moment that you say that homosexuality is a sin and it is not for human flourishing, you are going to get hated, persecuted. Did you see what's happened recently with City Point School in Brisbane? There's a bigger story on that, but that's what happens. There is a clash of the kingdoms. We might be loved Sometimes, very often, we will be hated. So Jesus said this, you are, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light in the world. You're salt and light. What does that actually mean? It means this. To be salt and light, it means to understand that we're living in the gap. We're living in the kingdom interval. We're living in the year of the Lord's favor. It's, it's the time before the day of vengeance comes. My brothers and sisters, it is coming. The wrath of God is coming. We live here. And we want to proclaim, we want to push the gospel into the darkness as much as we can. That's what it's about, BBC. Number two, here at the church, here at BBC, right here in this place, as a one of many thousands of communities around the world's church communities, we want to live the kingdom right here. This place, this church needs to be a little kingdom, if you want to put it that way. This is where we want to seek, pursue, and enjoy, and celebrate all that is good. We, we want to pursue unity. We want to pursue justice. We want to pursue those things that we will feast on in the kingdom of God one day. Let it be so here. Let it be so here. But we live in the darkness, don't we? And as we push that kingdom kingdom of Christ into the darkness. We want to live its beauty and we want to live its value. And we want to live its worth and we want to live Christ. You know, the Bible says, I think we said a couple of times this morning, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. What does that mean? It means live the kingdom in the darkness. Let us be tasters for others. Let others see in us and let us taste in us what it means to live for the kingdom. But understand this, there is going to be this clash. There is going to be this jagged edge. And it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be persecution. It's rising. It's coming. It's here. 
There's one verse in the Bible, and I'll close with this. Sort of just pulls it all together. One verse. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Live such good lives. Live such kingdom lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. They may see your kingdom lives. And glorify God on the day He visits us. On the day He brings the day of vengeance. When we pray, let your kingdom come. We are praying, Lord, let us live the kingdom now as much as we can in anticipation of what is coming. I'm going to ask the music team to come and join me up front.